I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Motorsport Commentary Behind the Scenes for the May 2017 edition of Motorsport. It's on sale now, and you can find it at Stockist near you, as well as on our website at www.motorsportmagazine.com. You can also read, listen to, watch the digital edition, and details about that can also be found on the website. If you want to avoid the stress of actually buying single copies, I can highly recommend subscribing. You get the magazine earlier than anyone else, and it's delivered direct to your door. Job done. So, joining me today is Simon Aaron, uh, we've got Nick Trott, we've got Joe Dunn, and Damon Cogman. It is a full house of Motorsport editorial team, so welcome everyone, and thanks for joining me. Hello. Hello. Uh, it's, now, before we get anywhere, you can, as I mentioned, you can buy this issue on our website, and that is the direct link for that is shop.motorsportmagazine.com, and I'll be right at the top of the screen for you, and you can get it there nice and easily. So, May 2017 issue, and we have the Ford Cosworth RS500 on the cover, and we're arguing that it's the greatest racing car that ever existed. Now, I don't want to be the fly in the ointment here. But let's talk about the Porsche 917, 956, 962, 935, the Ford GT40, the Auto Unions, the McLaren MP44 or the M23, the Lotus 49 or 72, the Maserati 250F or the Ferrari 156 or 250 GTO short wheelbase, or maybe the Alfa Romeo TPB, or maybe even the Matra 670. Nick, please explain what's going on. Yeah, well, no problem at all. I'll, I'll just hand it over to Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we uh, we spelled <laughs> <really> out. <laughs> Back to Nick then. No, I I, I think the um, the the RS five hundred and, and Group A touring cars um, seem to be having their moment um, right now. I think the their appearance at the Goodwood members meeting created a uh, a huge amount of publicity and attention, uh, which of course we were keeping an eye on. Um, and it just seems to me there's a generation that are particularly excited about this relatively humble, um, well, a car that had a very racing car that had very humble beginnings. Um, and it seems like whenever you mention RS500 um, to people at the moment, there's a lot of fond memories of Rouse and Sopa and, and the epic battles. And we, as you, as you know, we had we had an editorial meeting and we discussed the car and what we could what we could do with it and what kind of package we could pull together. Um, and I went off and spoke to a gentleman who runs the RS500 club in UK, and he just he left me with this this um, this idea, this concept that you could argue that it is the greatest racing car of all time if you look at a, a win ratio. So of course I brought this back to the office, and being the newbie, everyone looked at me with blank stares and <coughs> said, "Go and you know look at Jim Clark again, will you?" And not <laughs> not these uh, no, twenty five boy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, so um, so once they'd untied me, I, I tried to make the the point again that this is a really important car at the moment. I think and. Um, so I again I, I looked around and you know tried to find out if we could drive a car and Ford mentioned they were bringing Eggen, Eggenberger car over from Germany to Goodwood and then 
we tried to work out how to get someone in the car and it but basically it all started to come together rather nicely and and then joe uh worked on a on a st- on the most difficult part of the story which was to try and look into this myth legend of it perhaps being the greatest racing car of all time if you look at a few criteria. So, do, do Which you, are, Joe? You, you passed that on to the intern, didn't you? I was nice. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I've got to it's say, got the, um, the, uh, the statistics back up the assertion that this was the most successful racing car. Um, In your face, Foster. Uh, there, are, there, are, there, are some, there are some criteria. You have to buy the magazine to discover what those criteria are. Um, but once you put them all together, uh, you find the win ratio of uh, the RS500 is... Not just slightly more than anything else; it is by a long way um, uh, the most successful car in terms of in terms of wins uh, compared to races taking part in. Right. So, Damon, talk us through the actual cover shot um, uh, because surely there were thousands <coughs> of photos to choose from. Um, surprisingly, not that many. Um, this is even though it wasn't that far in the past. Um, the 1980s are always a, a really difficult time to find decent pictures of because of the way that the film has degraded over the years. There's actually not that that much around, surprisingly. Um, and the kind of the and Simon will back me up on this because having used used film for the, I since, did indeed. Yeah. Yes. Okay, can I just point out at this stage, not that long ago is in fact 30 years. Yeah, it doesn't seem like yeah. it. No, no, it, 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 it seems, it's, seems it's, like yesterday. It and it's even on the cover, Damon. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. thir- 30th anniversary. That's the words part. Yeah. That's the words part. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ah, got you. D- Damon, for those that don't know, is our art editor. Um, he does shapes and colours, not so many words. Yeah, good at the shapes and colours, not so good at the words. Um, and no, the, the, pictures, the pictures are amazing, especially as the, I mean, the Eggenberger one is pretty striking with the black and the daylo. I mean, we, it's fantastic, isn't it? You can't, I can't ask for a better combination. Um, I'm sure the... the um, British racing green and yellow as well would be would go down pretty well, but a Texaco for the, for another generation, the Texaco uh, star and the day glow graphics um, get people excited of a certain age. So me included. And I have to say that I think uh, cars of that touring cars of that era, which generally just had one or two sponsors on them in big bold messages on the side on the flanks and the bonnet, you look at a modern touring car and there are four hundred different sponsors yeah. all with postage stamp style stickers on it. Mm. It's just. There's, I don't know, there's, some, there's something much purer to my eye about the, the, the design, the look of the cars of that period, where yeah. they were far less cluttered. Yeah, you get the feeling it was designed and, and kind of really thought about, as opposed to uh, yeah, what we have now. Where, so. where we can just squeeze one more little sponsor yeah. on here, yeah. please, yeah. yeah. I think the, 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 sort of the period picture, actually, talking about the quality of the picture, but that, in, in, to my eyes, makes the cover even better, because it sort of it, it dates the car it, properly. You immediately see that sort of... The, the, the way the image is, and you can see that it's 30 years old, and the way that sort of, you know, sort of sepia colour pictures from mm. 60 years ago yeah. date a particular picture. So I think it's, it's it's good that we've used a period shot. Yeah, we had we had options. I mean, we we, we looked to um, shoot the car ourselves at Goodwood, and there are within the the feature there are a, a number of shots of of the car at, at Goodwood, um, and they're, they're great images, but. That this car has a kind of a, an aura. There's something in the ether about this car that, that's fascinating, and, and and actually that cover shot represents it far better than any of the shots of the car today at Goodwood. And it's just the fact you, you know, Soper's you know, he's got his open face helmet on there, and he's, he's got, he's his, got his, his head cranked, his hands yeah. on the wheel, and his his head sort of cocked into the corner, and you know, he's, and you can just see one of the other teammate cars, I think, on the right hand side of the cover. It really. Uh, it's just something about that image, isn't there, yeah, that yeah, kind of yeah. Yeah, teleports you back to that, that time. And it was, it was also interesting. I mean, I, uh, Dickie Meaden had the main conversation with Andy Rouse and Steve Soper, but I 
spoke to both, both of them as well, and the um, the passion that they both still have for... I mean, they both said it was you know the highlight of their touring car careers, and let's face it, they both had very long and very durable and very successful touring car careers, um, but they both cited the RS500 time just as you know, the absolute apotheosis of that. Mm. Now, this issue, this issue is, of course, the one in which we pay tribute to the late John Surtees, uh, it's always a very difficult task, you know, paying tribute to someone like him, uh, rider, team owner, driver, um, founder of the Henry Surtees Foundation. He did so much for motorsport and beyond. Um, Nick, how do, how do you begin to do something like this? Because, you know, I'd, in, in situations like this, I'm always reminded of Jenks' sort of, I, I think, cop-out on Jim Clark's death, where he said, mere words are inadequate to express our feelings. And that was it. But, you know, it's, it's someone of a similar stature. So, you know, how do you, how do you approach it? Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing, of course, is that when the news, you know, hit, hit us in the office, it, you know, I think to a man, we were, we were all broken hearted. You know, he's um, uh, a, a towering figure in, um, in, in our world and huge amount of admiration. I think a number of people felt he didn't receive the um, accolades he deserved during, during his, his, his yeah. lifespan. Yeah. Um, so, so first thing was this kind of, it was just a moment of shock and, um, in terms of the production of the magazine and the content we produced, we were halfway through a schedule and there was an opportunity to respond in the best way that we could with the time available. But of course, the first thing we wanted to, to look at was, was on the digital side, because it was, it was important that, um, you know, we could deliver some content on, on the website, which is, which is your bag, Ed. And I think, I think you did a really good job, um, delivering that content, um, and then on the print side, it was uh, it was, was Joe's suggestion. I mean, uh, Doug and I um, knew John very well, um, and he was by far and away the best person to write write that piece. And and Joe worked with him and assembled some fantastic comments from some other um, people who had an association with um, with John or the, or the Henry Surtees Foundation with um, with Simon's assistance as well. And Simon made some great. Um, uh, comments and propose some great ideas about people we could talk to who who were perhaps on the periphery of of, of John's motorsport world, but um, were, were affected very positively by by him and by the Henry Surtees Foundation. So, um, in short, we we got together and did the best we could, and hopefully that the readers will will, will will like what we've put together. Yeah, and we we also dug into um, our own archive, uh, which is obviously available online, and had a trawl through. Uh, what, what, what we've said about John Surtees in the past and what he has said to us in the past. And it's quite fascinating going back and you realise most of the quotes we found, the direct quotes from John, are from the mid-90s and onwards. Um, you go back to the race reports and, and features, well, race reports from the 60s and 70s, hardly any driver quotes, if any, at all. They just weren't... Jenks never used them, did he? No, he just no. Uh, Jenks, I mean, he, very technical, very interesting, but didn't quote the driver's ever as far as I mean I'm, I'm sure there must be one or two somewhere but um couldn't find a single driver quote from that period but we've got we had plenty of stuff of John talking in later years about his own career and some fantastic and revealing stuff you know everyone knows a lot of the stories and I think they're all pretty well summarized within the magazine but um a sad a sad task but um also rewarding because it uh, is a very acute reminder of what a great sporting figure he is present tense and also the ridiculousness of the uk's honor system that a bloke with eight world championship titles seven on bikes one in a car isn't a knight yeah 
Well, I, I second that thought. Uh, rest in peace, John. Um, I'm going to move on and look at Mark Hughes' content this, this month. And I, I'm wondering whether I'm sort of missing a week in my life because the Australian Grand Prix was only last weekend. Um, and yet here we are with a paper magazine in front of us, um, a, a monthly magazine, no less, with lots of coverage of the Australian Grand Prix. Uh, Nick, do you want to take yeah. us up on this? So, d- d- am I missing a week in my life, or d- what happens? <laughs> <laughs> well, the magic of modern publishing. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we looked closely at the schedules, didn't we, Damon yeah. uh, and Joe? And, and we, we realised that uh, our print schedule didn't align with the first race. And so we looked at it, and we thought the first race is super important. Um, so can we move the print schedule in order to uh, include the, uh, the the first race? So, uh, so we did. Um, and it's not... I, it, that, I've made it sound very easy, but it's actually really hard when you're trying to move a print slot and there's always a cost imperative. And um, but, but either way, we thought it was worthwhile. Um, so we pushed our um, our print deadline so that we can include the copy from Mark. And, and Mark, you know, absolutely did an amazing job because he effectively wrote through the night. Um, to deliver the, um, did, the did we work out how many words he actually wrote in <laughs> after the Grand Prix because he did a 4,500 words Grand Prix report for the website yeah. plus all the magazine stuff so he must have been it was t- uh, touching 8,000 I think yeah 8,000 words in, yeah. in an evening yeah, yeah. and of course none, none of the words were wasted either this was marked <laughs> so it was all beautifully beautifully done but I mean Damon deserves some, some real credit here because he looked closely at the really? <laughs> it's, it's, it's true yeah, yeah. breaking news <laughs> first time for something Cheers, guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's National Bullying Week. Yeah. 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 Um, no, yeah, honestly, Damon, Damon does because he, you know, he, he, I'm still a, a relative, you know, I'm, I'm a rookie here on motorsport, and uh, I'm not as uh, up to speed necessarily on on how we send our sections to the printers and the relationships who you phone up. You know, it, it just there's just loads of mechanical stuff that people don't see behind the scenes that you have to kind of do. And, and Damon, you know, being a trooper, he, he got onto it and, and made it all happen. And then, of course, when the copy landed. Um, <laughs> He had to break out his crayons and, yeah. and, and design. That was a busy design day. It. That was a busy, it was Monday, a busy day, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we all arrived on uh, bleary-eyed after sort of staying up till silly or getting up at silly yeah. o'clock to, uh, to watch the race and then kind of the next day thinking, oh, I wish I'd gone to bed earlier. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, yeah, a, busy, a busy Monday, but definitely worth it for what we've got. So, yeah. And it just, just bears mentioning what a pro Mark Hughes is. I mean, uh, uh, obviously, you take it for granted when you read it on the page, but, um, you know, he turned that copy around, he filed it, exactly when he said he would he stuck rigidly to the brief he included all the different elements that we'd spoken about and emailed about uh, and it was just absolutely spot on uh, and arrived it was in our inbox waiting for us uh, on monday morning well, can i just point out that i got a bit silly o'clock to watch the race on sunday i then went to wimbledon stadium for the last ever <laughs> meeting in the evening and i then got up at half past four on monday morning to sub his mark copy so that it was ready and damon would be a bit less angry when he re- when he arrived in the office <laughs> At, at 9.15. Well, great great <laughs> job. From, uh, basically, I, and I was out of the office at a meeting on that Monday morning. <laughs> so, okay, I'll, I'll revise it. Great job from Joe, <laughs> Simon and Damien. Yeah. And, and good job from me for being away from the office while all of this was happening. Absolutely nailed that. Um, right, well, before we go on and talk about some of the other columnists this month, I just wanted to mention that the Hall of Fame tickets are now available. So you can come and join us for a star-studded evening and you can buy the tickets on the website um, also, if you haven't voted for your racing hero yet, there is only one week left. So if you want to say and who actually gets inducted, then you can vote now on motorsportmagazine.com 
forward slash Hall of Fame. And if you want to be kept up to date with all the celebrity guests that are being announced soon, then you can sign up to the newsletter there and you won't miss anything at all. Um, But do go on and vote uh, because you do genuinely actually get a say in in who's inducted. Um, Right, moving on to Dickie Meaden. Um, Nick, so... Uh, Dickie this month is so he, he looks he's looking back slightly with rose tinted glasses um, on sort of racing of the past and things. But he goes on to talk about how exciting the WRC is. Um, you obviously went to the opening round, and I think the new cars are dramatic. They are exciting, aren't they? Yeah, they they, they are. There's, there's this really interesting concept that's going around at the moment about. Um, the increased performance of racing and rally cars and whether you can actually witness it or not. And, of course, on TV, I think, having watched the Australian Grand Prix, there may be a couple of corners where you went, well, they look pretty quick through there. And the onboards certainly looked slightly more aggressive. But it's it, it, from, you can only really see it when, when you're actually there. So um, I think we all want to be closer to the cars don't we and in rallying you get that and we had a conversation in the office the other day about the 30 meters that you know you are away from the racetrack in formula one and how we all want to get closer and uh, and and dickie's just covered the the subject beautifully really and he's you know looking at it from a historic um perspective as well because of his historic racing so um yeah it's interesting this this idea that speed isn't necessarily commensurate with with entertainment you know so um but Simon's probably got more experience than me. I mean, I'm sure the most spectacular cars you've ever seen on a race circuit have not necessarily been the fastest. No, absolutely. I mean, um, in terms of sheer violence and spectacle, drag race, drag race, the top field drag racers, which are very fast, obviously, um, I mean, there's very little to match them in terms of kind of a sensory overload. But if you, if you want pure racing, something, and I've written about it in past columns, but something with more power than, it's all obvious stuff, more power than grip and no aero, I mean, you look at legends. Uh, a few of us went to the truck race meeting at Brands Hatch last weekend. Damon was there on a Sunday. I was, I was there, there on, on Sunday. After the Grand Prix, I was <coughs> to <watch>. uh, yeah. <laughs> um, No wonder you're all knackered. Come <laughs> on, there. I mean, you've already got yourselves to blame, haven't you? <coughs> yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was good anyway, but I mean, the little legends races, I mean, they, 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 hunt, in, they hunt in packs of 10 or 12 all the time. Yeah. There's loads of overtaking. Historic Formula Ford is the same. Yeah. I mean, it was fantastically exciting when the cars were new in 1971. It's fantastically exciting now. You get frequently get top three or four cars covered by less than half a second and it's good clean hard racing none of them want to hurt themselves none of them want to damage the cars because they can't afford it because they're amateur racers so you know they respect each other and it's it's absolutely fantastic to watch and at places like brands hatch indie circuit the punters can get close still and it's just it's you know it all adds it all adds to it they're not the loudest things in the world but as a as a just a form of entertainment it's second to out now, I, I am wary that we do have a time limit on this, and we haven't even sort of got to the features yet, bar the, the RS one. So I'm just going to sort of mention some of the, the rest of the columns. Obviously, you've got Richard Williams, um, and he is talking about the shift of power in 1957 uh, in the Formula One season, sort of from the Italian teams at the start to the British outfit, Van Wall and Sterling Moss, um, which is, is an appropriate piece in light of Ferrari toppling Mercedes in Australia. Um, I've, I've just seen Nick raise an eyebrow. You wanted to add something to that? Yeah, Richard's going to be writing for us, uh, right? And column for the rest of the year, which is which is good news. We had a discussion this week, and the columns are great. Um, he worked with with Joe before before I started, and uh, Joe commissioned his first column. And I'm you know, I'm really pleased to say that he's going to be working with us um, throughout this year. So you know, good news. We're all pleased, and I quite like the fact that this this particular column um, just sort of talks about the make do and mend 
kind of British mentality, which allowed it to, you know, the, the, the shed tinkerers who, who actually then um, came to dominate uh, the sport um, uh, at the end of the 1950s. And I thought it was quite apt that it happened in the same month as Brexit. Um, <laughs> there might be some hope for us yet. <laughs> um, we then go on to Matt Oxley, and he's written a great piece about Wayne Gardner. Um, I'm just going to read a small quote out here from uh, the man himself. Uh, just because it's such a wonderful insight into sort of racing in those days, but particularly motorcycle racing. After the race, I'd be dying for a beer. I'm a typical Australian. I'd worked up a thirst, so I'd, ha- I'd, so I'd have a beer. Later on, there'd be a barbecue, or we'd end up trashing in my motorhome or someone else's. <laughs> which is, which is, you don't get that in MotoGP nowadays. Um, but ex- typically excellent stuff from Matt. Um, we've obviously talked about the RS feature d- at, at the front, so I'm fast-forwarding to page 90 here and a uh, feature that Dickie has done on the Aston Martin GTE car. Uh, this particular chassis is called the Dane Train, um, so-called because it's filled with Danish drivers. Uh, but it's, it's had a remarkable history, th- this car, Simon, hasn't it? It has. It's um, won a whole string of championships over the last two or three years. And I just think modern GT cars, people say modern motor racing is dull. We are talking before about spectacle. Watching a pack of GT cars, I mean, most GT races nowadays seem to have at least... 35 or 40 cars in them. Wonderful to behold. Love, lovely thing to look at. And that's just a very su- successful example of the breed. Yeah. And, and Dickie's actually got behind the wheel of this and, mm. and driven it. Yeah, I think we're going to be seeing over the next um, few months or so, we're going to, going to see Dickie and a few others um, driving some of these really important racing cars. Um, and, and Dickie's more than qualified to be able to assess um, the performance of, of a car like this because he can always get within... Well, often a few tenths of, of the factory drivers. He he really is he really is, um, uh, he really is a, a, a fantastic driver, and 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 his his writing is also exceptional. So, I was a, I was in an event last year. It'd be terribly embarrassed me raising this, but I, I was in an event last year where we had a, an Aston Martin Vulcan, and um, a works driver took it out around the track and set a benchmark lap time, and then uh, Dicky, who'd never seen the car sat in one before jumped in and was within uh, six tenths of the factory driver in a, in a Vulcan um, <laughs> so it's quite and <laughs> yeah and, and then of course he jumps out the car and he's able to express you know very eloquently how, how the car behaves and, I, and he's done a great great job here um, and, and Simon's right my goodness when you see a pack of GT cars and actually hear a pack of GT cars because in this category um, you have V8s, you have turbocharged uh, V8s, you have V10s, you have uh, V6 turbocharged cars, and it's just quite something. It just close your eyes when the pack goes past. is is a great experience. And there's also uh, the diversity of shapes and sounds. I mean, the science of the wind tunnel has long since dictated the shape of a Formula One car, and whatever people have come up with the new rules, in six or eight months' time, they will all look pretty much the same. GTs don't. And that, that's one, one yeah, of the things I, I really love about it. Especially the Bentley and the Aston Martins, which yeah. seem, seem yeah. quite sort of uh, blunt. <laughs> yeah. 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 And if you kind yeah. of see the, the, the sort of Ferrari equivalent, it's like, yeah. wow, they're in the same class even. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and I have to say, one, one of the things when, you, um, when I'm at Alton Park, which is quite a lot, um, and You've I'm been to Alton Park? I'd, once or twice, yeah. Really? Okay. Um, the, um, you should Chitella, tell us. You should tell us. Stanley taking photographs at Hilltop as the cars come out of the Lodge Corner and then onto the pit straight. You can actually stand with your elbow more or less on top of the armco as they come with the wide angle lens as they come past. And when the Bentley GT3 comes past you, 
I mean, the, 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 the wake. I mean, it more or less knocks you to Manchester. It's just, it's, just, it's, a, it's a lovely thing. I mean, I, you get used to it after a while. It's great. Yeah, I, lo- I love the way the cars express their personality and the way they, they look and they sound, and yet they can be competitive. I know there are a number of faults with um, balance of performance, but if if you had to dream up a way a Bentley racing car behaves, it's exactly how you just <laughs> described it. Yeah. And if you had to you come up with a way of how a Ferrari racing car behaves, it's the scream of, of and the sparks of a, of a 488. So mm. it's just going to add, really, that uh, Dickies, I mean, I know he's obviously a very accomplished driver and he's driven an awful lot, but what I love about him and what this piece really shows is that he can't quite get rid of the childish or childhood kind of thrill of driving all these cars um so when you read his piece he kind of talks about it almost in like a dream sequence and he wakes up at the end and the spell is broken as he gets out of the car and it's that sort of just absolute love of what he does and he he, he hasn't lost that even though he's driven everything and he, you know he could be kind of hardened to it and he's not he's just still so enthusiastic and that really comes across in this piece particularly i think yeah, I think we'd all hate him if he wasn't such a lovely guy, wouldn't yeah, we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, well, before we talk about the Ross Braun interview, uh, exciting news. Uh, for those that remember 1960s in focus and 1970s in focus, there's another one coming, and this one is called Le Mans in focus. Um, no, uh, no prizes for guessing what it's about, but um, expect what came before, some absolutely beautiful unseen images, um, and it's sort of packed full of, of beauty, isn't it, Damon, in focus series? It is. Um, I've just got to get the 400-odd pictures down to about 100 or so to fit in. Uh, then we'll be okay. But they are all amazing. So, uh, yeah, it will be, it's, it's, a great, it's a great product. Um, I love putting it together. It, it's a real labour of love. So I can't wait for it to be finished. Yeah. Well, you can actually pre-order. Sorry, Simon. Um, you can pre-order it at, at uh, the website, which is motorsportmagazine.com, and that's forward slash shop. You can pre-order, and it will be available very soon. Sorry, Simon. I... Yes, I was going to say, I'm, I'm really looking forward to capturing the bloody things as well. <laughs> <laughs> take, take a couple of days. Um, we Honestly, we really do love, love it. doing it here. Um, it's, it's one of our, f- our favourite jobs. So the Ross Braun interview. Uh, it's, it's Mark Hughes has sat down with Ross Braun, who's now in sort of a, a key position in the big, sort of in the in formula one um nick this was sort of one of the very first big interviews he did isn't it and and he chose to do it with us yeah um of, of course when the news broke or actually even when the, the rumors started to circulate that ross was going to take a uh, a role in the in in the management and indeed the direction of formula one yeah it was it was a case of we need to talk to him as soon as possible but of course everybody else in, in the world um wanted to do that um mark um being being Mark and having a great relationship with um, w- with a lot of the key figures in the sport, um, managed to to talk to Ross um, pretty much directly and arrange a time to sit down and talk. And I'm pretty sure we got it first, didn't we? I mean, our schedule. Yeah, may, we, we may have published second, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're just <laughs> details. Mere <laughs> <laughs> details. Sure yeah, we got we uh, yes, we actually we, we got him at uh, we spoke to him at the at Barcelona um, uh, in Barcelona during testing uh, and had a, a one-on-one sit down with him, which was great. Do we? What does everyone think? Is it the right man for the job? Hundred percent. Yeah, uh, I, I concur completely. I mean, he's, he's just his wealth of experience in all domains. I mean, you know, run, running 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 a business, running a team. Everything. His understanding of the sport, sports cars and Formula One, just vast. But it's it's worth noting that not a lot is going to change in the next few years. Is it? I mean, really, the big change he's looking for is twenty twenty. Well, you can't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's so everything is so entrenched the way it is at the moment. It'll take it take it'll be like Brexit. I mean, trying to untangle everything. Everyone says two years. It'll probably take ten. Um, I mean, this this could take a time because you've got to recondition people's thinking, um, and that will take time. 
Yeah. And, and we do get a bit of an insight into the way he's Ross Braun is thinking about the future of Formula One in this piece. Yeah, um, he's, he's he's very clever in the way that he presents his information, and and he's he's teased um, a few elements that uh, in the way that he teased the race of champions concept earlier on in the year, he's teased a few things that are clearly there for us all to think about. You know, um, the the first first thing for me is watching Australia. How we desperately needed another two to four cars on that grid, no matter the quality yeah. of the racing or anything else. It just looked too sparse to be the the, the foremost most motor racing yeah. event in the world. So um, he's certainly got the biggest job, but he, there's there's no bigger brain I think to to solve the myriad yeah. of problems with F one. Well, he certainly talks about spending caps uh, in, in in this piece, and um, uh, he's uh, the key thing I think that he's talking about as well is is that um, he is thinking things through. So he's he's not just coming to knee jerk reactions or uh, sort of off the wall ideas about what might work, and, and they end up not working, as as we may have seen, you know, with the, the rule changes this season. But he's thinking really deeply about how things can work in the long term and and, and planning it. Uh, and that's very much um, his style, and I think I think that'll come out. To, you know, we'll see that playing out over the next next few years. Yeah. Exciting times. Uh, well, one, one, one snippet oh. as well that he hints at is that he, um, when he took the job, it uh, it doesn't say so in as many words, but it's pretty clear reading between the lines that he said it was either him or Bernie, uh, which was the reason that mm. um, that Bernie has sort of sped up the exit, moved, <laughs> moved upstairs. Mm. Um, uh, when it came to liberty, uh, asking Ross to take the job. Uh, fast forwarding on to page 108, and we've got a piece here called "The Land," uh, well, called "Land of the Rising Suns." And Darren Cox has actually written this, and it's on Japan's Super Formula, which used to provide plenty of Formula One drives, but sort of went through a little bit of a dip. Um, it, it seems to have changed. Uh, certainly, Stoffel Van Dorn is a big name that's been there recently. Uh, Simon, knowing you, you've, you've probably been to all of these races. All, the, all the two. Park, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Super Formula doesn't do Alton Park or Mallory, I'm afraid. No, it's so. not worth going but to. I, them. But I have. <laughs> Give it time, Simon. <laughs> yeah. during, during my uh, privileged time as a Formula One correspondent, I did go to Suzuka many times. And I, uh, in the last couple of years, Super Formula did support the Japanese Grand Prix. So I have seen the cars. And they are impressive. They are quick. I mean, uh, because of the tyres, they're probably a little bit quicker than uh, GP2. Um, I mean, there was a time 20-odd years ago when Japanese Formula 3000, as it was called then, I mean, the, the qualifying tyres they had were so soft that I think Hans-Harald Frensen once qualified on pole at a time that would have put him sixth or seventh on the Japanese Grand Prix grid. I mean, they couldn't race at that pace. But that's always been part of the Japanese culture, the tyre technology. And um, they... Uh, Formula Nippon was very strong for a while, went through a dip, and as you say, it's now coming back. McLaren plays Stoffel van Dorn in Super Formula to keep himself race fit while they're waiting for an F1 fleet to arise. And this year, Red Bull has done exactly the same with Pierre Gasly, uh, GP2 champion last year, who will be up against some very stiff opposition, Andre Lotter, guys like that, in Super Formula this year. And it, yeah, it is, it is on the rise again. And it gets good crowds. Yeah. And it's the, the return of Darren Cox as well as, as, uh, as a writer. Yeah, so Darren, you know, with his involvement with Nismo, spent a lot of time in Japan, knows the Japanese um, working culture, the, the, the positives and the negatives of it. And um, he's also, he worked closely with Jan Mardenbra on the um, GT Academy 
uh, game to racer. And of course, Jan is racing in Super Formula this year, and and, and Jan's Jan's a star. You know, this is, this is a guy who was who was plucked from his bedroom in in, in Cardiff, and he's he's delivered in every single car. Um, he's I mean, his stellar performances at Le Mans. And he was second in the second in the Japanese F3 Championship last year, which is no mean feat. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's interesting that we've got this. We, we talked about it the other day, actually, in the office about you know the, the fact that Max Verstappen is kind of bringing the average age of Formula One drivers down, and then drivers that are over twenty two are considered you know old farts and are, <laughs> are past it, you know. And yeah, you've got guys it? like Jan who are qualified yeah. for Formula One and, and Dean Stoneman and some of these like absolutely scintillating drivers that are almost considered over the hill. But I'm hoping. You know, because because uh, such a fantastic driver, great story that you know this this could really propel him. You know, in, into F one, where I personally believe he he belongs. You know, with with Gasly. Now, before we come on to lunch with, I'm going to come to you, Simon, on that one. Uh, it's, because uh, I, I because I like lunches. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and and you had lunch with this yes, particular person. Um, probably more of the latter than the than the former. Um, so I must tell you all about the Hall of Fame auction preview drinks. H&H Classics Woodcut Park auction is taking place at the Royal Automobile Club the day before the Hall of Fame event. Um, on June the 5th, uh, we're going to host a special auction preview evening, which will give you the chance to look at all the lots while enjoying the club's grounds at Woodcut Park. Um, you can buy tickets for this and the preview drinks, and it only costs £17. Money well spent, I would say. Um, again, just go to the website, motorsportmagazine.com forward slash Hall of Fame. Okay, lunch with Malcolm Wilson. Simon, how were your West Coast scallops, lamb, uh, what else, there, sticky toffee pudding, <laughs> all washed down with puy fisse? Uh, no, no, that, that's Malcolm's. Oh, that was that, Malcolm. What that, did you I, 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 I guarantee went, I went you didn't for, have a salad. I went, yeah, I went for the veggie option. The photographer's, the photographer's job is to um, order the same meal as the guest, and he was very relieved that Malcolm was the guest, and he wasn't, because the photographer takes pictures of the I've meal. always wondered that. So yeah. you don't stop the guest no, eating. No, no, no. no, no, no so no. what, we're paying for two lunches? Well, three. Three. No, Claude, yeah. Yeah. Three, 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 yeah. Well, that's it. That's the end of lunch, really, I'm afraid. Sorry. Sorry, David. So you actually, so you ordered two sets of the guest's lunch. Yeah, so the photographer will sit just off to one side from where the guys are actually having their conversation. Um, so yeah, they, and this he will is, order the same. This is breaking as the, news! <laughs> it is, this is, like, my goodness, yeah, this is Trump. Yeah. This, this is, um, <laughs> not read the I, I, I have. I am now. <laughs> I have always wondered how awkward it must be when the guest got his food, yeah. but then, but no, then so, the sorry, doctor sorry. said, "No, no, hang on, wait, wait, no, no, no." Sort of in, just with a fork then. halfway to yes. his right. Anyway, yeah. Simon, tell us about the lunch with and the, and the three lunches. Yeah, well, um, uh, yes, I mean, yes, I did. I did go as I say for the veggie option, but. Um, Oh, Malcolm was fascinating. Um, it was an absolutely lovely setting, uh, northern edge of Oldswater. It was a beautiful day. I arrived two hours early. And went, um, I went. I went slightly poignant for me because my mum had passed away the previous day, and I arrived early and just went for a walk in the hills to gather my thoughts, and then met Malcolm for lunch. And it was a lovely sunny day when I arrived. But being the Lake District, by the time Malcolm arrived, it was a force eight gale. Uh, Oldswater was more or less hitting the hotel windows because the the the, uh, the wash was so so vicious. But we just we sat down and we, I mean, if I hadn't had to drive back to Kent that day, um, I might still be sitting there chatting because Malcolm is a fascinating guy. I mean, a Ford man through and through, but he's building his own escorts and stuff from the age of ten or eleven, tinkering in his parents' uh, scrapyard, um, and you know, fifty years on. He's running the Ford World Rally Championship team, having driven Fords for the best part of 20 years, and he's now run the WRC team for 20 years. Fund of 
what I found to be very interesting stories, and just a lovely, affable guy. And the fact that he always set out to create a successful motorsport business in Cumbria, which isn't quite next to Silverstone and Banbury and where mm. everyone else is, mm. and has made it work. And he's always, he said one of the things he said was, that, you know, if you make the if you do a good enough job, people will come and find you. And despite Cumbria being where it is, and it is a fantastic part of the world, I love it. Um, you know, he's made it work, and he's now got two hundred and sixty odd people working for him at twin factories in uh, in Cumbria, and also a secondary factory in Poland. One, I mean, it's a, for a kid who left school at fifteen with no qualifications, it's quite a story. Yeah. There's hope for all of us yet. Then <laughs> he's just, just just getting better as well. He just signed OJ, hasn't he? So yeah, yeah well, and he's of yeah. course the Bentley. And the Bentleys, yeah, and, he, and, yeah, and he's running the Bentleys yeah. and, and the World Rallycross team, and and he's also <coughs> providing cars for world, yeah, for, for World Rallycross. Um, it's quite. I mean, Bentley. He didn't pitch for that because they got no mm. racing experience. Bentley approached him, and he initially said, "Well, we don't do racing," but <laughs> Bentley insisted. And um, you know, the, as uh, a story you'll see reading the next issue of Motorsport um, about the Bentley GT3 program that Andrew Frankel's written. Um, yeah, that's that's all being written run by Sport. He talks quite fondly about Colin McRae as well, doesn't he? Yeah. He does. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to give away everything he says, no, no. but but um, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 he does come up with some very interesting and surprising insight about uh, McRae's driving uh, Is it as surprising as the fact that three lunches are ordered for two That's people? That's a real revelation here, <laughs> isn't um, it? <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd that, say that has literally blown my mind. <laughs> well, Damon was fully aware How fat is the photographer? <laughs> 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 why, why don't we bring a doggy bag? At least. Right, I'm not sure the sticky toffee pudding would travel somewhere. It's quite a hike from Oldswater down to London, though, so that it would have been cold. Yeah. Very right. cold. Well, we, we are nearing the end, so I just wanted to quickly talk about Gordon Cruikshank's uh, visit to Blakeney Motorsport this, which you know this this race preparation company that um, from the photos I mean you can see E-types, Cobras, Mustangs, Bugattis, they're all being prepped. There's been a sort of meteoric rise in historic racing and the popularity of it. Um, and so these companies have sort of been given a new lease of life, haven't they, Damon? There's loads of lovely images in here. Well, the great the great thing about this particular story is that the, this this is going on up and down the country, all all over. All over England, um, these these amazing little Great Britain. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> not independent yet, are we? Okay, is that is, is, is that kind of day, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and there's plenty of these uh, all over the place where they are preparing cars, uh, not just for Goodwood, which this what this uh, particular feature was uh, focusing on, but um, for many many events and historic events all all around the world now. I mean, the historic world is global. I mean, the cars that are prepared here go off all around the world. And, um, and this particular um, uh, sort of garage that we went to, or pre- preparation but we went, place we went to, um, uh, prepared, I think, eight or nine cars for the Goodwood members meeting alone. Uh, so they, they, they certainly have the work cut out. So we, we sent a photographer down to uh, sort of capture the, uh, the sort of busyness and how they, get, how they were going to get the, all these cars ready for one event. So the the final piece in the in the sort of feature jigsaw for for this month's motorsport is oh, pro- hang on. oh sorry no there no, isn't the sec- the second last piece yeah Nick. sorry I'm going to jump in because I'm going to say that when when you pick up your copy um, don't forget if you're in the states you can pick up your copy in Barnes and Noble and any other independents um, I need to get that one in <laughs> um, 100, page 129 if you look at the image that's on the top right um, and you look behind the car. 
that is um, center. Is that a Bugatti? It is. Okay. Well, I won't give away what the car is behind, but um, just just spend some time when you have a look at this piece, just scouring and looking over the images because the the car that's in the foreground is not always as exciting the car that's in the background. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of that's the kind of joy of these workshops, isn't it? Is oh, where everywhere yeah. your eye falls, yeah. there's something. And as I say, the top of page 129, top right. The car in the background, it's orange and it's... Glorious. It's very cool. It's glorious. <laughs> very cool. Right. The, the, Sorry, the, no, not jump. at all. Not at all. Uh, Damon, I'm going to come to you for this one. I, obviously, we have... You were there, which is you know usually a page or two. And then we sometimes when the images are really good, we do private view, which might stretch to sort of two, three pages. But this private view is massive. Yeah. What, what's uh, the story behind these photos? Well, um, a, a chap called Dick Lees actually sent photos in even before I started. It was that long ago. Um, and he uh, was a photographer around in the 60s and 70s that um, uh, was an enthusiastic amateur and uh, sadly passed away recently. But um, his pictures, uh, as it says here, serve as a, tri- a tribute to him. But the, uh, the, the lovely thing about this was uh, obviously in those, in those days you could just stroll around, take pictures wherever you, wherever you were. There was no, um, no restrictions. You could go on a walk, walk around and uh, take, your, take your camera into the pits and the paddock and no one would stop you. Um, but the lovely thing about these ones is that we have this is just a small, tiny proportion of uh, of what Dick was sort of uh, that, set, that he sent in. Um, he, he he had literally hundreds of them, so we, it was a challenge to get them down to God six or seven pages of how many it was. Um, and obviously, I think the, the our all. I think our favourite one is... Uh, don't, tell one, him, don't tell him what it one is. Of <laughs> one of B and away, B. But it's page, what page is it, it is on page 138. Okay. And, well, it's, and it's, yeah, two, two characters in conversation lent against a, a lorry, one um, who doesn't have... Well, I'm not going to say anymore. No, no, that's it. It's, well, it's on, uh, on that marketing, beautiful example, and which you can do at motorsportmagazine.com forward slash shop. Uh, you can buy the latest issue there, but I highly recommend subscribing, much less hassle, and you get it much earlier than everyone else. Damon, thank you so much for your words of wisdom. Nick, thank you. Joe, thank you. And Simon, thank you very much. We'll return next month for the June preview. We'll see you all then. Thanks so much for listening. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Bye-bye. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.